Have you ever had a time in life when you experienced darkness, despair, or hopelessness? Have you ever had a time in life where maybe you're going through life and, and things seem good and the chart for the future is pretty clear and you know which direction you're headed in when something unexpected happens and then all of a sudden things grow foggy and you're not sure which way to go? Have you ever looked at your life or maybe our world and, and just thought, is there more to life than this? If you haven't ever experienced those things, maybe you're young or, or maybe you've, you've been spared from those things, I'll just let you know that those times will come at some point in your life. And if you have experienced those things, then you know that when you're in a season of walking in the wilderness, when you're in a season of darkness, you know that it can seem like it might not ever end. It can seem like you're alone, isolated. It can be very difficult emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And it's those times that I want to talk about this morning. Because you see, as a pastor, there's many privileges. And one of the privileges is being with people at the highest, most joyful moments of their lives. Being with people when, when they come out of the waters of baptism and we celebrate new life in Christ. Being with people at the hospital um, as we celebrate literal new life in their families. Being with people and celebrating their weddings as they experience a new life together. One of the privileges is being with people at the highest moments, but one of the other privileges is being with people and being allowed to walk with them in their lowest moments, in their darkest moments. Walking with people in seasons of wilderness. And when people are walking through those seasons, when I've been through those seasons myself, one of the questions that often comes up is where is God in all of this? Anybody in here ever asked that question? Where is God in this darkness that I'm going through? It's a question a lot of us have asked. Maybe you'll ask it one day. And it's a question that comes up because when we're going through seasons of despair, when we're feeling hopeless or walking in the darkness, not only do we, we feel isolated and maybe abandoned relationally with other people in our lives who don't understand what's going on with us or can't quite identify, but a lot of times we also feel that same way with God. A lot of times it feels like when we need God the most, we can't sense his presence and he feels absent. And this is the kind of season that the followers of Jesus were in after he died. But you see, while we know that Jesus was on earth, he, he taught his disciples, hey, the Son of Man will suffer, he will be crucified, he will die, but on the third day he will rise again. He told them that multiple times, but even once he died, it was still an unexpected death for them because they didn't put it all together. It didn't make sense for them of how the Son of God would be crucified on a cross, how the Messiah, the Christ, would be mocked and humiliated and die a criminal's death. They didn't understand how all of these things work together. And even though Jesus talked about being raised from the dead, this, this resurrection wasn't a category of thought that they had. They weren't expecting him to just show back up a few days later. And so when Jesus died, their future went dark. They weren't sure where to go. They weren't sure what to do. They had planned their whole life around Jesus and following him into the future. And now all of a sudden, 
Hope was dead. The light that they were following was gone. And so they did what a lot of us do when we're in difficult times. They began to kind of separate from one another and go their own ways trying to figure things out. Some people tried to process it maybe with with friends or family. Other people went home where they felt comfortable. Other people probably just went somewhere to start over. They all began kind of doing their own thing. And in Scripture, we have a few accounts of what some of the disciples did. And when we're looking after Jesus' death at what his disciples and what his followers did, we have to remember that once Jesus died, he didn't just have the 11 disciples now that Judas had died. I mean, he had the 11, but he also had many other followers. In Luke's gospel, we read that at one point he sent out 70 in ministry and in mission. And we know that there were likely hundreds of others who had followed Jesus, who had been walking with him, who had been talking with him, who had seen the miracles and who probably felt hopeless once he died. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage from Luke chapter 24, just after Jesus' death, at a couple of Jesus' followers, as they're walking in one of these wilderness seasons together. And so it's going to be in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can open up. It'll be on the screen as well. And I'll read it aloud to you. Here's what Luke writes. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still with their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more is it's the third day since all this took place. And can you, can you sense their despair here? Cleopas and this other person that's walking with him, we're not quite sure who the other person is. Maybe it was his spouse. Maybe it was a friend. But I mean, you can sense their despair when he says, look, we had hoped that Jesus was the one, but we're not hoping anymore. And now it's the third day, and while we know the third day is the day of resurrection, for them... Three days meant three days of death. It was final. And they have this this sense of significance of what's happened. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem is talking about it. So when this unknown companion that they don't recognize comes along, they're like, what, you haven't heard? Everybody's talking about this. This is the biggest news because now everything has changed. And you can kind of feel in this story that they're probably just walking on this road to Emmaus, just putting one foot in front of the other one, going slowly to this destination. And now for them, what was Emmaus? Maybe it was their hometown. And they were trying to just go somewhere comfortable and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty. Maybe they were just trying to escape all of the news 
and the drama because that's what a lot of us do when we go through hard times. We just try to have an escape and to get away somewhere. Maybe they were going there to start their lives over, to start again fresh now that their old life had ended. But the story continues, and it continues when they start talking to this unknown companion with them about some of the confusion that they're experiencing and about some astounding things that have happened or amazing things, as some translations put it. We read this in verse 22 as it continues. In addition, they said, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body, and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he, that is Jesus, who they don't recognize, said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and to open the scriptures to us? And then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, in the midst of their hopelessness, hope showed up right beside them. And hope was walking with them the entire way. And now what's interesting in this passage is that at first they couldn't recognize who this companion traveling with them was. They didn't recognize Jesus, but Jesus recognized them. And Jesus drew close to them in the midst of their hopelessness, in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their darkness, and he walked right alongside of them. And now if you're like me when you read this story, I mean, one of the questions I kind of have is like, well, how could they not recognize him, right? I mean, if, if they knew Jesus, if they were his followers, how all of a sudden did they not see it was him when they, when they were walking these miles with him? And I mean, there's a few explanations you can come up with if you think about it. I mean, one is maybe um, they were just so overwhelmed with grief and and despair and darkness. I mean, if you've ever been in this, you know it can be like a fog. And so maybe they were just kind of in a fog. And so as they're journeying, they're just looking straight ahead. And it wasn't until they slowed down and sat around the table and looked into Jesus' eyes that they recognized him. Maybe Jesus looked different. And it wasn't until he he lifted up the bread and he broke it, it wasn't until then that they saw the wounds, the scars in his wrists. Or maybe the last images they had of him was on the cross, bleeding, with a crown of thorns on his head. And so it wasn't until he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it, that all of a sudden they remembered 
a time when he had done that before. And all of a sudden, the memories of Jesus began flowing back and they recognized who he was. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities of how they ended up recognizing him, but, but those explanations are kind of normal, ordinary explanations of how this might have happened, but you and I know that this is no ordinary story. This isn't a normal walk that they're going on that day. There's nothing normal about this situation. Who is walking with them is the Christ, the Messiah, the risen Lord. Jesus has risen from the grave. And so in verse 16, when we read that they were kept from recognizing him, I think it's safe to interpret this is that Jesus, God himself, kept them from recognizing him until that moment when he chose to reveal his presence to them. So Jesus basically had closed their eyes and then he opened their eyes to his presence. And so that brings us to the question of why would he do this? And I think there's two reasons why Jesus did this. One is so that they would know that even when they couldn't recognize Jesus' presence, he was present with them. And two, so that they would begin to understand the ways that Jesus wanted to make his presence known to his followers now that he was about to ascend into heaven and what he was going to do and how he was going to work in the future. And I think Luke includes this story in his gospel for us because this is the only place it's found. I think he includes this encounter so that we would know that even when we can't sense God's presence in our life, he is there walking alongside of us. And so that we would better understand now that Jesus has ascended into heaven and reigns on high, I think Luke includes it so that we would understand how now, today, he reveals his presence to us. Because you see, Jesus is alive. He's not dead This wasn't figurative. This wasn't their imaginations. Jesus is alive. And after Jesus rose from the dead, one of the things we read in Matthew 28 is that he commissioned his disciples. He commissioned them and he said, go, go and tell everybody everything I've taught you. Go and make disciples. Continue my mission and ministry. Go and know that I am with you always until the very end of the age. And so Jesus said, go and know that I am always going to be with you. And now between the time of when Jesus gave that commission and and today, sometimes it's gotten confusing and it's gotten misinterpreted because sometimes we tell people, hey, go, go live out your faith and know that because you have faith in Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Go and know that because Jesus lives, you're going to have a life that's filled with wealth and prosperity. Go and know that you're going to have happiness, joy, and that no terrible things are ever going to happen to you. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go and know that I am with you always. In John's gospel, he says this, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And when Jesus was sent into the world, what did he experience? He experienced suffering. He experienced difficulties. He experienced challenges and dark times. And that means that we're going to experience them too. But because he lives, we don't experience them as people without hope. When we experience these things, Jesus is walking alongside of us. He is with us and he is for us. 
And the one who's walking alongside of us in the midst of darkness and despair in these seasons of wilderness in our lives, he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends. He knows what it's like to be mocked, to be humiliated, to be crucified. He knows the difficulties of life. And as he walks with us through our difficult seasons, through our challenging times, he whispers to us, I am here with you. I am here with you. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He says, look, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but I am here with you. And one day, everything is going to be made new. One day there will be no more sin. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more death. One day I'm going to come and establish my kingdom in final victory. But until that day comes, I'm here with you. And I am for you. You see, when we're walking through despair, when we're walking through darkness, Jesus is walking with us. And sometimes we we can't sense his presence. We can't recognize how God is at work or, or that even God is with us and for us. But this story helps us see that even when we can't recognize Jesus and sense his presence in our lives, he is there. He is there present with us, walking with us, and he wants to make his presence known to us. And in this story, we see a few different ways, really three in particular, that Jesus makes his presence known to these followers, to Cleopas and the other traveling companion. And the ways that Jesus makes his presence known to them in the midst of their journey is the way that I think Jesus today wants to make his presence known to us in the midst of our difficult times and in the midst of our good times as well. And the first way we see that Jesus makes his presence known is through Scripture, it's through scripture. I mean, if you look at this, this is one of my favorite, favorite parts of the story. How Jesus, when they're walking and they explain all the confusion and that the women said he's alive, Jesus says this. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Luke tells us, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And as he explained the scriptures, their hearts began to burn inside of them. See, Jesus, he opened up the scriptures to them. He began opening up basically the Old Testament at that time, showing them how the scriptures have to be interpreted now in light of his death and his resurrection, and how his death and resurrection have to be interpreted in light of the scriptures. And as he opened up the scriptures to them, their hearts began to burn. And so instead of this darkness and this despair, they began feeling something. Instead of barrenness, they began feeling life. They began feeling Jesus' presence as they heard the scriptures explained and proclaimed. And it's the same for us. This is one key way how Jesus wants to make his presence known to us today, especially when we're going through difficult times, is through scripture. And I'll just tell you this, that when I've been in difficult seasons, seasons of the wilderness, you know what? I I don't want to read the Bible, quite frankly. I don't want to read any book. I don't really want to do anything. But this 
is a place where Jesus promises to meet us. So even if I don't, I don't feel like reading, maybe I, I, I can listen. Maybe I can come to church and hear it proclaimed over me. In the midst of a small group study, people can, can explain the scriptures. And if you're going through a difficult time and, and you don't feel like engaging the scriptures, I'll, I'll encourage you, one of the best places to start is the Psalms. Because the Psalms give emotion. They give words to the emotions that we're feeling in the good times and the challenging times. And if you're in good times right now, don't think that you don't need to engage the scriptures either. You need to engage them because as we do, Jesus makes his presence known to us and we're like trees who grow deep roots so that when the storms come, we have a strong foundation. We know the promises that God has for us. We know that he's present with us and he is for us. It's as we engage the scriptures and open them up that Jesus makes his presence known to us. He encourages us. He gives us light. And so that's one way we see in the story that Jesus does this. But another way that Jesus makes his presence known is through community. It's through community. I mean, this is, I mean, for us in, in our modern eyes is, is kind of an odd thing that the, these two people, Cleopas and the other, are walking on the road to Emmaus and this stranger walks up and what do they do? They start talking to the stranger, right? We're taught, don't talk to strangers, don't engage anybody you don't know. They start talking to this stranger and they welcome the stranger on their journey and then they actually end up inviting the stranger into the house where they're staying and to eat a meal with them. And now look, I, I don't know in good times or in bad times, but when I'm in a dark time, you know the last thing a lot of times I want to do? is to, to engage strangers and people I don't know. I don't really want to engage anybody. But here in this interesting twist in this story, it's as they invite this person into their journey and into their lives, as they make this invitation and open up their hearts to someone else, that Jesus meets them. As the guest comes to the table, suddenly the guest becomes the host. As they show hospitality, Jesus shows up and reveals himself. I mean, that's cool. That's cool, and it's the same way in our lives today. Jesus makes his presence known to us so often through other people. And when we're going through difficult seasons, one of the things God does is God sends people into our lives to be his hands and his feet to make his presence known, to give us words of hope, of encouragement, to let us know that we're not alone and that God hasn't forsaken us. Jesus makes his presence known in community. And one time I was at a conference on how to create community in churches. That's the kind of conferences pastors go to. It was on how to have small groups in your church so that people can get to know one another. They can have people on the journey with them. And there speaking that day was Andy Stanley, who's pastor of North Point Community Church. And they have tens of thousands of people connected in community and in small groups. And I took notes that day and I looked them up this week. And this is what I remember Andy saying that day. He said, look, I've seen many broken people in groups. I've seen many people going through brokenness, but I've never met anyone in community who didn't find some level of healing. 
Because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am. And it's in the midst of Jesus' presence that healing comes. And when we open up ourselves to other people, the healing happens in the context of relationships. And I also remember Andy saying this, which struck me as true, and it's been true in my experience. He said, you know, one of the things about community is that it's good to, to build community and to gauge with others, to make friends, to get connected before the darkness comes, before tragedy strikes, before you experience despair, because once you're in that season, it's so hard to connect, and a lot of times you want to isolate. And so one of the things we have to do is to get engaged in community now, to begin having people in our lives because it's as we bring people into our lives that Jesus makes his presence known to us. I've seen this in my life. Emily sees this in her work in counseling. We've seen it here in our church. Jesus makes his presence known through community. And then we see a final way that Jesus makes his presence known, and that's through communion. Right, we read in verse 30 that when he was at the table with them, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And now if you're familiar with the stories of Jesus, you'll know that this isn't the first time that Jesus took bread and performed these four actions and revealed himself. Actually, he had done this earlier. He did this at the feeding of the 5,000. He, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it out. And he revealed to the people there that his kingdom was a kingdom of abundance and a provision. He revealed his power. On the night before he went to the cross, in the upper room, he took bread he gave thanks, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. This is my blood shed for you. And at that meal, he revealed to them his presence, the extent of his love, that he was going to have to suffer and die for them so that the new covenant could be established. And here, on this resurrection day, on the third day, when Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it, he revealed to these two followers that he wasn't just the Messiah who suffered and died. He was also the Messiah who has risen again. He was with them. He was for them. He was giving them a glimpse of what things were going to look like at the end of time when all of his followers share in that heavenly banquet together. And the early church picked up on this pattern that Jesus began of taking bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it to one another. In their earliest worship services, they began to do this and celebrate with bread and with the sharing of the cup in remembrance of Jesus' meal at that Last Supper. And as they did, guess what? Jesus made his presence known to them. And so churches throughout the millennia have continued this practice in the sacrament of Holy Communion because it's here that Jesus promises to meet us. 
And this is why in the United Methodist Church, we don't put like barbed wire fences up around the communion tables because we believe that Jesus wants to make his presence known to all people. And so we give a very broad invitation. We say, hey, look, Christ our Lord invites to his table. This is his table. He invites all who love him, who repent of their sins and want to live at peace with one another because we believe it's here. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, we believe it's here that he wants to make his presence known to us. And that invitation and, and the way we do communion and our beliefs about it in the Methodist church at least come largely from John Wesley, our spiritual founder of Methodism. And his beliefs on communion and his, his theology was largely derived from his mother who introduced him to the faith and who taught him the faith. And his mother, like him, left behind many writings and she left behind one letter that said one day she was at a service of Holy Communion and when the priest took the cup and said, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, she said this, the words struck through my heart and I knew that God had forgiven me all my sins. And as she tasted the bread and as she drank from the cup, she experienced Jesus' presence and she knew that he loved her, that he had forgiven her, that he was the risen Christ who wanted to give her and the world new life and abundant life. And our hope every time we come to this table is that Jesus Christ would meet you here as well. And I know that, I mean, if you look at what we have here, I mean, it looks pretty ordinary, right? This is from Publix on Highway 20. And the juice is Welch's grape juice, right? They seem like pretty ordinary things. And sometimes when people see us getting set up, they're, they're kind of like, oh yeah, that looks kind of ordinary. Like I thought it was supposed to be like super holy and spiritual in the back room. Like we bake the bread here in the corner. But no, the, these, are, these are ordinary things. You might have a Bible with you today and feel like it's pretty ordinary. Honestly, you might've walked into the church this morning. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been a lot. And you might be like, wow, this church is kind of basic and like not too much crazy stuff going on here. It's kind of ordinary, ordinary people. But what we see in this story is that Jesus uses these ordinary things. He uses a meal. He uses scripture. He uses community to do something extraordinary. And that is to reveal his presence and to make himself known to us. And that's what he wants to do for you this morning. And so as we share in this meal, we pray that you come expectant, expectant and ready to meet Jesus. And we hope that his presence will change your life. So let's pray.